0: Today we have Amy Vu with us. She is the Extension Coordinator for the Honey Bee Research and Extension Lab, where she runs the University of Florida Master Beekeeper Program, the University of Florida Bee Colleges, the Honey Bee IFAS blog, and the lab social media pages, among other projects. Amy, it's so good to have you here today. Yeah, it's good to
1: be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. So we're excited to talk about some of the things that you're doing over in the extension offices. And I want to start out by emphasizing the fact that IFAS really is something that embodies the land grant mission of the University of Florida. And that involves instruction, research, and extension. And she's doing that through the work that she does to kind of expose different counties in the state of Florida to beekeeping, but also through educational training. Since U of IFAS has extension offices in every county in the state of Florida, what does that mean for Floridians?
1: I think that's something that people don't realize is that extension is just kind of a third part of the land-grant universities. So extension is essentially taking all the research and all the instruction from those universities and bringing that to the general public. And so, you know, as you were saying, Jeremy, there are extension offices here in Florida. There are 67 counties in the state. Just about every single county that we have in the state has a UFI fits Extension office.
2: That's fantastic. That is really That is cool. amazing. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that that's, that's happening. It's like the translation of all of these really technical ideas into a format that anyone can understand and implement. And they're getting cutting edge information and research by being a part of that work.
1: A lot of people will say that Extension is kind of their best kept secret. Um, you know, and it, and it started out primarily because back when the land grant started, there were farmers that were out in the field doing work. And, you know, of course, there were the college courses at the universities and then, of course, the research part of it. But then there wasn't that person to take that science to, to help the farmers. And so that's how Extension was kind of made in that sense.
0: Can you talk about like how did you get there? Did you grow up like you know what I'm gonna do when I grow up? Extension work. Like how how did you get there?
1: <laughs> I I actually uh, got my degree in soil science and I I got a degree in um, food production, just emphasizing on soil science. And after I was kind of working in the lab for a little bit, I decided you know I really don't want to work in the lab. I I would prefer to definitely work with people and I want to educate and teach those people. And so that's kind of how I found the extension world.
0: So I don't consider myself someone who's very in touch with like agriculture and what's going on, but I do know that honeybees are endangered. So can you talk a bit more about like how you all are doing research to like fight that decline of the honeybees?
1: Yeah, so in 2006, actually, commercial beekeepers started seeing honeybee decline. They were starting to see half of their colonies being lost. And you know, if you've ever taken any of one of my extension courses, when you first get into honeybees, even starting with two colonies, you know, you're spending about a thousand dollars. So you can imagine with the commercial industry, they've got thousands and thousands of honeybee colonies so to lose 40% of that is is huge and again you know what we were talking about earlier with pollination they are incredibly important for blueberries melons uh, cranberries almonds there you know so many things again i think that we could probably tie a lot of our produce back to honeybees so there were a lot of different reasons for this colony decline Um, a lot of people, you know, kind of pointed their fingers at pesticides. The science actually shows and the beekeepers, they, they filled out this national survey and it showed that there was a mite it's called Varroa destructor. And it's this mite that basically feeds on the honeybee's blood. So you can kind (gasps) of imagine it's like, like a softball sized tick on your body is the equivalent of this mite on a honeybee. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really bad. Um, so especially in the honeybee world with researchers, the reason why UF is pretty well known for what we've done, uh, Dr. Jamie Ellis, who is my direct supervisor, he had an appointment in extension research and instruction. He had about 70% of his position uh, that was dedicated to extension. And so he was working with beekeepers of all different operation sizes. He had backyard beekeepers. He had big commercial, you know, large operations and going to do pollination and and traveling across the United States. And, you know, he had really built a relationship with some of these people. And so when they had asked him, you know, how can we help support your program? You know, he kind of jokes around and says that he had a relatively small laboratory as far as space. And so what he decided to do was he told them, you know, I really need some space. And so there were two beekeepers that came together. And the story is just really great because these two beekeepers saw the need that he needed more space. And they said, we're going to go to the governor. We're going to see if we can build you a honeybee lab. And so what had happened was, the the governor vetoed it the first time around, it was estimated to be an almost $3 million project and facility. And, um, you know, the governor vetoed it a couple of times. The third time they went and they said, you know, can we do this honeybee lab? It'll be a state-of-the-art lab. And the governor said, you know what, I will put in, um, I think it was $2 million if the University of Florida can put in $1 million and beekeepers can raise $500,000. And that day, a commercial beekeeper wrote a check for $500,000 and set it down on the table. And so there was a hashtag that started and it was called build the bee lab. And so (laughs) beekeepers, yeah, beekeepers and people from all over the state and all over the country started um, contributing and donating money to this cause. And so you know, it was made for research and for bee college and just to provide educational content to beekeepers throughout the world. Um, and so the program actually, you know, continued and the facilities an almost $5 million facility that we have on campus. And most of that was because of beekeepers donating money. And, and to this day, they're still doing it. And so it's pretty cool to see because the lab is one of the only beekeeping labs like it in the entire world.
2: So one of the things that I think about as someone who's in engineering education is how do I articulate the work that I'm doing to a lay person? And I think that's something that isn't really taught in science unless you pursue a degree like the one that you've pursued. So how do you communicate some of the most significant science that's going on as it relates to our agriculture in an accessible way?
1: Yeah, I guess part of that is just trying to communicate the way that I would like to be communicated. So I kind of put myself in someone else's shoes. Like I probably have the simplest questions about engineering or, you know, anything that has to do with computers or technology, you know. And so I try to take the route of just asking myself, if I was a beginner, how would I be able to communicate this with someone Um, You know, it it definitely has to do with trying to be relatable and trying to tie it into everyday world. And so, you know, with honeybees specifically, we do communicate a lot of biology and a lot of worlds, but we try to make it fun and we try to make it relatable for people. And I think that's really kind of the important part is, is understanding your audience and who you're speaking to.
0: Yeah, I think fun and relatable is definitely key, because if you talk technical terms, people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? They'll have a reactionary <laughs> response. Like even with uh, this summer, with when 2020 was being 2020, when we had news of the murder hornet coming out, you all were <laughs> like the ones at the front lines telling the public about this, like, no, they're not murdering people. So can you talk a bit about that experience?
1: Yeah, it was one of those things where, as soon as that came out, we did have to do some research um, to figure out, you know, how are we going to tell everybody what this means, whether they're actually here or not, because there is that misinformation out there, and so that is part of the extension position is just making sure that everyone knows the facts of of what's going on.
2: One of the things that I loved about your story is you were really inspired by an experience where you decided to study abroad. So, could you tell us a little bit about that experience and what it was like for you?
1: Yeah. So, so I studied abroad my sophomore year of college undergrad. And when I was there, you know, that was when I had kind of decided I really wanted to help people. And so I think that's kind of where the extension background started was that I wanted to help people. And I knew I wanted to start helping people. And of course, I really love food. (laughs) And, and I think that people who have food are happy people. I think that when you have food, that that you're happy, right? I I mean, I get hangry on a pretty regular basis. But (laughs) when I was in Ecuador, there was a lot of agriculture, there was a lot of ag land. And so that was really inspiring for me to learn about the industry of just agriculture, where our food comes from. And that's kind of what, you know, sparked my interest in food production to begin with.
0: You've mentioned that before, um, that it's important people to know where their food comes from. Can you talk a bit about why that's important?
1: You know, a lot of my friends, they're not in agriculture. And you know, when you go to the grocery store, you kind of walk around and you see, let's say your orange juice, right? We see our almonds, we see blueberries, you go to the produce section, you see all of this stuff. There is a huge story behind how that product got to the grocery store. And sometimes I think we don't think about that, you know, almonds, for instance, almonds can't be produced without Mm honeybees and Mm -hmm. so we have people moving honeybees throughout the nation out to almonds just so we can have almond milk
2: yep wow um
1: in florida we've got a couple of crops that people might be familiar with uh one of them is watermelon (laughs) and we've got blueberries cucumbers there are lots of different crops but those are pretty big ones um as far as the florida industry goes it's definitely melons berries and the cucurbit family and I think that a lot of people miss that part when they think about where they get their food from.
2: Yeah, I I definitely agree. I most people, when they pick up a piece of fruit on the grocery aisle, have never thought about, and probably never. Yeah, will I'm,
0: I'm most people. <laughs> <laughs> I walk in, it is there. That is where my food comes from. <laughs> that is the, end of the story. <laughs> I think it's beautiful that like
2: you you went on this trip, and then you were so inspired by the experience that you had that you came back and you were like, everyone, learn where your food came from.
1: Yeah. So when I was in grad school, my colleagues and I, we came together and there were probably six or seven of us and they all wanted to save the bees they also were very interested in agriculture and local food and where our food comes from and they said you know honeybees are really important and of course we had no idea what we were doing at the time but uh (laughs) we decided to go ahead and purchase bees anyway and believe it or not our bees shipped to us through the post office through USPS. isn't that a hazardous substance or something no it's totally (laughs) hazardous check
0: all the boxes
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i've been a beekeeper for probably six or seven years now, um, which has definitely helped with my position. You know, I, again, try to take myself back to when I had first started, all the things I wish I knew.
2: Okay, so you train people on how to become beekeepers and there's all these services that we offer through the extension offices for people to have access to those resources. Right now, are you just working virtually to to provide those resources to people? How, how do you... How have you had to adapt the work that you do, given the current state of the world, really?
1: Sure. So we have a couple of different programs. A lot of them are in person because, of course, with Honeybees, it's hands on experience, you know, beats everything.
2: Yeah, I could see that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. learning how to use tools, putting on equipment, learning how to handle equipment, learning how to handle bees. Um, So before COVID hit, we actually had a program called the Master Beekeeper Program. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we run, which is a huge program that we have through UF, is called Bee College. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just a two day workshop where anyone and everyone can come. And it's essentially a beekeeping conference. So there are all these different classes going on at the same time, hands on stuff, classroom things, you know, tours of the lab that we have here on campus. And so that's kind of had to change a little bit. And we we just recently had to do a virtual bee college, which, you know, wasn't so much fun in the sense (laughs) of we couldn't get hands on. However, we were able to reach People from around the world. I mean, oh, we wow. had people in New Zealand, and they woke up and set their alarms at two in the morning oh my so God. that they could, yeah, so they could call into B College. So that was pretty neat <laughs> to have that. And people from um, Japan, South Africa, Israel, just people from all around the world. So we definitely took on that opportunity, and we're very grateful that that we were able to do that.
2: So you have an international reputation, then.
1: We do, yeah. Part of our job is to do a lot of outreach, to do a lot of education, and then again to communicate the, the information from the University of Florida. And just this year, we've had two national extension awards provided to UF, the University of Florida. So we are actually at the forefront of extension of communicating science through, you know, the Institute of Food and Agricultural Science. So it's, it's pretty awesome to have two, you know, leaders in our industry that are really taking the forefront and are being recognized nationally, which, you know, it's very well deserved. I feel like science is one of those topics where like people think they know, like they might hear a buzzword
0: or they might hear what their cousin told them and then they form these opinions based on things that aren't even true. So I really appreciate people who are science communicators because you have to basically be excellent in two things in the science part as well as the communication part. And usually people are, you know, one or the other. So you have both skills.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to be able to communicate science and to explain what science actually entails.
2: I think it's interesting that people generally don't consider the fact that our jobs as academics are really to kind of put that information out there for other academics so that they can innovate on what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of time to be able to remove all of the technical wording and make it something that Kyla and I could understand because we know nothing about beekeeping, right? Like (laughs) it's such an amazing skill and something that I know that we strive to do in our classrooms at the University of Florida is really kind of arm our students with the skills to be able to take what they're learning in the classroom and share it with the world. So Mm -hmm. kudos to you for all that you're doing, not just on our campus, but all across the state of Florida and the world. Amy, it was so great having you be a part of our podcast and we really look forward to hearing more about what the Honey Bee Lab is doing. Hopefully we get more beekeepers after this episode airs. So thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.